We're back! We're back! It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. I'm going to the beach tomorrow, and that entails a, a very, very long drive. So the drive part sucks, but I am I'm a veteran of the family vacation process enough to know that all I have to do is endure the drive, and then I am in happy land once I get Endure. Where are you, are you going? How far away are we going here? Are you going up or are you going down? I'm going up. I'm going to a New England beach, which goes against my values, but my folks uh, rent a, a different place every year along the New England coastline, and then we go and we join them, and we have fancy meals that my mom prepared, and we lounge on the beach, and it's very, very nice. Yeah. I don't want to give the listeners too close a glimpse into Drew's uh, private life, because his private life is private. But I believe it was last summer that I actually got to see you at the place that your family had rented because it was weirdly like on the sort of on the lake near where my wife grew up in Maine. Yes, that's right. You told me this. And it was an extremely baller house and everybody looked very happy and healthy. And uh, weirdly, one of the things that I remember most from that visit was about those fancy meals that you had there. You just had those little bocconcini mozzarella balls sitting out in the in the kitchen, and everybody was like, yeah, help yourself, because they could see that I was eyeballing those sweet mozzarella bowls. I love the tiny mozzarella balls. Really, really satisfying. So I hope that wherever, you know, you wind up in New England, and again, no one needs to know exactly where, uh, I hope you have access to the highest quality fresh mozzarella products and Italian specialties. Well, thank you, Roth. I hope the same for you. No matter your travels or even yeah. if you stay home. Now, our guest, it's the Athletics beat writer for the New York Yankees, our old friend, Lindsay Adler. Welcome, Lindsay. Oh, How are great. you? Oh, that's terrific. Wow. Hello, everybody. How's it going? Aww, how, it how is you doing? going. It's going. Uh, do you have work today, uh, Adler? Mm-hmm. Is there a Yankees game today? There is. It is a Yankees Mets game. Yeah, I was going to um, say many. Many would call it a Mets game. Drew. Ooh. <laughs> the the, the quote unquote Subway series because I think people take the subway to the game. Yeah, yeah, because the sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. The very because you can get the uh, BMT of course and the um there's the uh there's a sweet pepper uh you know um, I don't remember all the Subway sandwiches. There's a lot of them, but yeah, very popular at the baseball games. If, you, if I um, recall, oh, go ahead. If, if, if you want to ask somebody an, an upsetting question, you could say something skeptically like, "What way is it subbing?" Yes, subbing for <laughs> it's subbing for uh, the Mets having to play the Orioles or something like mm-hmm. that. Which I guess yes. they'll get to that later in the. In the uh, you know, we were going to talk to you about uh, baseball, Adler, but really, we just want to know how's your dog? How's Fisher? Yeah. The oh, notorious. He's, he's Fisher. pretty good. Um, he. I went to Baltimore over the weekend and picked him up from daycare yesterday. And he always has a really good time at daycare, but then also he like screamed at me when I picked him up, which made me feel just extremely guilty. And then I had to dump his ass at home and go cover a Yankees Mets game. So, um, I would say when he screams at you, is it like, mm -hmm. is it a bark or is it like a, Oh, like, is it like an actual Mm -hmm. doggy scream? Kind of goes back and forth. So I would say Fisher's take would probably be that, his his life was maybe a little bit improved when um you know a global pandemic shut down the entire baseball ecosystem on the other hand he doesn't have to think about money so i'd say he's pretty good yeah right right well cuz he had you during the pandemic he had you all to himself right mm-hmm. and now you mm-hmm. go away and he's like hey what the fuck this is bullshit mm-hmm. that's my lady 
Mm -hmm. On the other hand, he definitely gets to just like sleep on my bed while I'm not here. So, you know, when you say had a good time in doggy daycare, Mm -hmm. I think Fisher is is enough a part of the canon. that Mm -hmm. I think most people know Mm -hmm. what that's probably Mm -hmm. referring to. But yeah, uh, he's a big freelance dry humping artist. He's a very horny creature. Well, so when he went to his daycare audition, they did say, you know, yeah. Yeah, he saw audition. They did say, you know, well, he passed, but he was a little humpy. But as he's, <laughs> as he spent more time in this environment, it appears that I, I've not gotten any humping feedback. So it appears that he is. I, I think after like day one there, when he gets so excited about being around all the other dogs, he just like burns off all of his energy. And since he doesn't have a concept of time or a cell phone, so he can't ask me when I'm coming back. It's not like he can really like, you know, pace out his yeah. um social energy so i think he if if i were to guess if i were to ask him i guess he would probably be um a little bit wild on day one and then just run out of energy so yeah i mean that's pretty good because my dog at doggy daycare you gotta hump the baddest ass dog that's there and then you You gotta show them who's fluffy boss yeah right exactly (laughs) you got you gotta shiv them (laughs) who's the boss of the yard i cannot carter our dog has never stayed at doggy daycare because he is terrified of other dogs. And so, like, he always stays with our in-laws. But, like, the one time I think they weren't available, like, my wife took Carter to, like, a a pet hotel. And, like, the second, like, she brought him in, he was like, no, 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 Just, like, like pulling her back. Like, you ever have, like, the dog be so strong, like, summon the strength Mm -hmm. of 10,000 dogs, even though it's, like, five pounds? And he's like, yeah, no, I mean, no, 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 not doing this. So. They, they have that low center of gravity, which makes it really difficult. Like if I don't, if, yeah. I don't, if I don't get rotator cuff surgery at some point from Fisher deciding that like some, you know, electric pole or whatever is the most fascinating thing in right. the world, um, it will be, it will be a legitimate upset. So it's very it's, hard. It's, it's also, there's an that. element of single mindedness there where it's like, you've mm-hmm. got other things on your mind, right? Like, cause you're a person yeah. and you think about stuff. Whereas like Fisher, it's like, there's like three or four things that maybe float through there on a given day. And like, they're all going to be very intensely wanted. So the idea that there is like a laundry vent blowing out warm air that could then be directed at his ass, like Mm -hmm. that is more important to him than like, for instance, maybe your parents or (laughs) your friends are to you. Mm -hmm. Did you? I mean, that's true of me as well. Yes. Did you see the photo of him going up the subway stairs, Froth? From from a few days ago? Hold on, let me... Oh, give us give us the narrative. Watching give us the uh, blow animals by blow. climb stairs is kind of a. There's a, a whole subgenre of corgis going downstairs video that I've I like to say that I've I've done the ten thousand hours of study on that one. Like there's a bunch of different ways to do it, but none of them are great. Good job, I, man. I, I, I love seeing guy. I love seeing Carter uh, go downstairs because it's like I'm never certain that he's going to beat his own ass down the stairs. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, it always looks like the ass is going to overtake him, overtake his head at some point. But mm-hmm. it never does. So he's just yep. like this little, like, little scrunched-up hyphen sort of do inching ever, down the stairs. Drew, do you ever do the extremely normal thing where you imitate what it would be like if a human walked like your dog and then you're just kind of, like, preening and shaking your ass and then you realize that like you shouldn't own a dog anymore or is that just me (laughs) no i'm very good at doing the way a horse walks Mm -hmm. which i would do if this were not a podcast i would do it but you no one's able to see me you can you can post a twitter video later so i'm not a dog owner but i'm gonna go ahead and answer Lindsay's question by saying that uh 
that is a part of the uh, sort of gestural language and um, physical communication that uh, my wife and I have here at home. There's one particular dog in our neighborhood, a corgi, that is very, like, looky. Like, every time you walk by it, it kind of gives you this baleful, like, oh, like, I'm just down here. I look like a loaf of Wonder Bread. But it gives you, like, a very kind of, like, soulful, saddish look. And, like, we constantly try to hit each other with that, like, especially if one of us is doing something. Like, if she's, like, talking to her dad on the phone, I will walk by and give her, like, a, oh, like, I hope someone takes me outside and gives me a treat look. Uh, They're great creatures. You don't even have to own one to uh, make them a part of your your day-to-day. Do you guys remember, like, how different life was in our in our 20s when, when these were not like the things no yeah, yeah i was trying to be i mean it wasn't working or nothing but i was trying to do cool person stuff and i did that like i was trying to be a, a person that i would be impressed by if i met myself and now it's just kind of like i'm the guy that makes corgi faces around the house <laughs> to the one person who's willing to put up with that shit but terrific we made it I pretty much lived like a dog in my twenties. Like yeah, it's true. Like I did every everything I did could... was on the bed. Like I was reading the New York Post on the eating breakfast in bed. Oh, and I'm, not I'm like doing this podcast from my bed. Yeah, it's fine. yeah. It not like I wouldn't have like a rich person breakfast in bed. Like I got like a a bagel from Tall Bagels. Like in the paper bag is sitting bagel, on the bed, and there's like everything bagel seasoning all mm-hmm. over the fucking <laughs> fitted sheet and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Not an elegant breakfast in bed. That's like scattered across your bed like rose petals for milady. Yeah, and like bits of onion and kosher salt. Like plotting out like what I'm going to buy at the key food to grill on the foreman. Yeah, that is actually, I was going to say, like the basically the Young Drew stories, which I didn't know Young Drew, but as you've told it to me, it's basically like if a dog could operate a George Foreman grill. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were talking about it. It was a good life. In some ways, in some ways I miss it. Hey, actually, we should talk about baseball because Lindsay, you cover... I think I think right now the Yankees are the best team in baseball. Like yes. if you go by record, they're 34 games over 500, 10 games better than how they finished uh, overall last season. Why have they improved so markedly? And is it just because the rest of the division is worse? No, last year's Yankees team was like really weird. Uh, in my professional opinion, a lot of it comes down to vibes. But I guess I should also try to give a a real serious opinion here. Um, they just, they just had a lot of inconsistencies last year. The offense was just like really underperforming. I think last year's issues really exposed a lot of deeper issues with, with, with the, with the way the roster was built and with the way that they played the game that, you know, when you're, when you're hitting a bunch of home runs and covering those things up, it's kind of easy to ignore. And I think last year, the inconsistent offense um, really exposed their issues with a lack of foot speed, their lack of, you know, actually moving around the bases consistently, you know, the issues with swing and miss, which all of which are still sort of there, but, you know, in the off season, they made, they made some personnel changes to their coaching staff, changed their, changed their hitting coaches. Um, you know, they did smaller things like trading Luke Foy and signing Anthony Rizzo long-term to get, you know, more of that left-handed contact approach versus right-handed swing and miss. Um, but ultimately, you know, I mean, I, I know that a lot of my work deals with analytics and information, but like, I I do really feel that there's a big element of, you know, intangibles here. Like last year, it just seemed like one of the most remarkable things the Yankees did was keep themselves from completely spiraling out. There were so many times last year where they would like have a bad week or whatever. And I'd be like, okay, well this might be where it collapses. And they didn't to their credit, they didn't collapse. 
but when you get off when you get off to the sprint that the Yankees have had, like it just makes it so much easier to like weather those bad losses or weather what's been, you know, a pretty mediocre last month for them. Like they pretty much already have the division put away. So they're not like losing their minds about like losing a tough game to the Mets last night. You know, I mean, I think it's not great, but it's just not the same effect that they would have had last year because they were having such a, you know, it it was so, it was so much more difficult for them to just win games consistently. So it's like a number of things. I think they got exposed last year. I think they made some changes. And also I think just, you know, there's no better cure for, for inconsistency than like winning. I guess. Also, uh, also recognizing that Italian baseball players mm-hmm. were uh, were an underappreciated asset so true. Uh, on the market. It's the new, the new money ball. No How one much? has ever, no one has ever well, heard of Joe DiMaggio. But well, yes. like a freaking meatball, am I right? Come on. Yeah. How much? Uh, by the way, how Wait. much of this uh, Adler is also attributed to uh, to Aaron Judge? Because as of this recording, he has only one less home run than he had all <laughs> in all of 2021. What has been the improvement there? Why has that made such a difference? Is it because of the power he holds as an unvaccinated person without the COVID vaccine polluting his blood? He got it, Drew. They all got they're, it. They're all vaccinated. Everyone oh, did vaccinated. he get it? Yeah. Everyone oh, wow. is vaccinated. Did he, did he do the Andrew Wiggins thing where he was like, well, I really regret it. I wish they hadn't <laughs> made me put this in my body. Like, well, he's like got a fucking syringe full of Wisterol sticking out of his ass. And <laughs> well, this is- we, we haven't had to speak about vaccines since opening day in any context, which has just been kind of nice, you know, like with the St. Louis Cardinals, like going to Canada and losing like Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt, like I'm just sitting here and thinking about like how much this could have been an issue for me this season. And then the whole team wound up being vaccinated, able to go to Canada. And it's just not my problem. Um, that is so, nice. Thanks I mean, everybody. It's, it's- Nice, especially like, you know, obviously it's still everybody's problem, but just mm-hmm. not having to have that in the monitors at work has to be nice. Like the idea of yeah. like having to approach some like Florida man at his locker and be like, have you given it any more thought? Because there's no proof that it does anything to your balls. And he has to be like, well, I've been I've done my study. I don't think I really have anything to add on that. Like you don't have to talk to Miles Mikolas for work. Like you're <laughs> yeah. great. You can yeah. do whatever you want. I do yeah. think, by the way, if you ask Judge about it now. He would give you like a paragraph long answer that clearly conveys that he's annoyed he had to get vaccinated, but doesn't actually say it outright. It would just be like one of those annoying, like anti-vaxxer things where it's like it's mildly cryptic. I want to add to the the vibe thing though, because I think that to me, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but the fact that they did all get it, even though you know, like there was a lot of that. It's a personal choice shit mm-hmm. last year. You know, I'm a vibe believer in terms of teams working, you mm-hmm. know, like I think that it is a really big part of it. And I don't you'd understand it more than me because you spent much more time in the locker rooms, you know, with these guys than I have. But there's something about the way that a, a winning team coheres mm-hmm. that is like it seems to overwhelm yeah. every individual factor within it. At the start of this season, I figured that the Yankees were. Like, I didn't really think that most of the moves that they made during the offseason made a lot of sense, in large mm-hmm. part because they were getting guys, like in the case of Josh Donaldson, who are like infamous red asses. Like, mm-hmm. just guys that have, you know, like, teammates don't necessarily hate playing with them. They don't necessarily like it either. And these are these are weird guys. And yet it seems like all of it has been seamless. That, like, that... And I don't... So, I guess the question, and this is one where, like, maybe you spend the rest of your life trying to figure out an answer to this, like... How did how is this made to work? Like how does an individual who is problematic assimilate into a whole that seems bizarrely not? 
you know, I mean, I think what's interesting with the Yankees is like, and, and I did think about this with, with the situation with the Royals and, you know, they're 500 unvaccinated players. I was going to say, like a plurality of their yeah. team not being vaccinated. Yeah, and, and what Merrifield sort of, you know, I mean, what Merrifield took a lot of shit for saying, you know, like maybe if I played for a contending team, I would get vaccinated. Like, but I also, I, I, I get it, you know, like I say I was eager to get vaccinated um, from a public health standpoint and also just because I wanted my freaking life back because I right. live alone in a small apartment and I need to be able to go to parties. So I needed the vaccine. But, you know, if someone else has made up their mind that they don't feel that this is something that is valuable to them, even if I disagree with it or whatever, like I can understand why if you're playing for the Kansas City Royals um, who have just been interminably non-competitive yeah, um right. i don't like they're think they're a real baseball team but like yeah i don't i don't you know, think not. that being on the 26 man roster would be the thing that changed my mind about the vaccine i guess is what i'm gonna say so yep. i can understand where he's coming from and i and i do think that does have you know sort of it, it's very different with the yankees i mean they have the the inherent advantage they have is that even, you know, even as opposed to like the Red Sox who have been so up and down over the last decade, like every single year, there's an expectation that the Yankees are supposed to be contending. And that really does have a huge impact on the culture. And it means that, you know, like even when people are being red asses or whatever, like in, you know, from the perspective of self-interest, like these people want to win a World Series um, and the Yankees routine, the Yankees are the team that gives them the most consistent chance to do so. So that really does have a big impact. Um, you know, it's just sort of, you know, with someone like Josh Donaldson, who I really don't know very well, like he's been on teams where he is like the guy um, or he's, you know, like one of the guys or like, you know, on, on the twins he or whatever. He was the guy like, on the Blue Jays World Series team. I think exactly. Exactly. Batista. Yeah. So like, series, but the good one. yeah. So like there are so many stars on this Yankees team um, that Josh Donaldson isn't going to be expected to be the, you know, top wins above replacement producer. And I, and I think there are some real issues that you run into when you have a clubhouse full of big names, um, big contracts, big expectations. I think, you know, I, I always say I think about the Tampa Bay Rays constantly because I see them all the time. It's very clear that the Yankees think about them all the time. The Yankees are basically turning into the Rays, but with a bigger budget. And, you know, you, you have a lot of guys playing for things like service time or just to get established in the league or whatever it is. And it's a very different, it's a very different team vibe. But also the best solution is probably somewhere in the middle. You don't want to have like, you know, a team you know, just full of superstars where it's like where it can make things sense. You don't want to have a team full of people who are just playing for service time. But like the Yankees this year really have found a really good way of just being like, look, guys, like this is our chance to like win a World Series. Things are going pretty well. And that really, I think, leads to a lot of buy in in a variety of ways. I think Judge has really stepped into his own as a leader, um, not just on the field, but sort of off the field. Um, it's very clear that, you know, his teammates are watching how he works. Rizzo really has a lot of respect in the room. He has, he has a world series ring. Um, he's in an interesting position because with judge there, he doesn't have to be the guy. So he can be a you know pretty vocal leader without 
everybody asking him questions about whether or not he's going to be on the Yankees next year um, in the way that judges. So it's, it's a really weird thing because like, this is the only team I've covered. So I don't really have any context for what it's like to, to cover the Miami Marlins or to see what, you know, those vibes are like, or, you know, the I, Royals I think that's, that's for the best whatever. for you. For you know, I mean, I mean, it is, but also like, it, this is sort of like, um, I, I, I do my best to try to learn, you know, sort of how to, how to position the Yankees in this situation, but it really does all come back to, I think the fact that like, players have grievances. They always have grievances. They're, you know, they're big crabby babies because they want to win. Um, but at the end of the day, like the Yankees, given their history, given their fan base and given, you know, the statements from their team owner and general manager and whatever, like they know that they don't really have the opportunity to just like take a year off. So yeah. it, it, it well, sets a, it sets a very distinct tone. Well, the flip side of that is that it seems like you could not help, but have a, a happier clubhouse if you're the Yankees and your players on your roster are always very well compensated and mm -hmm. always have as many resources at their disposal as they like. That is almost like, you know, like that actually is not vibes. That is basically just a, uh, uh, a franchise using marshalling its resources to create, mm -hmm. you know, to, 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 ha to have, ah, I can't believe I can't fucking talk. This is, it's a clubhouse that has the money and the resources to make its players happy. So, of course, they're going to be happy around each other, even if they're dickheads like Josh Donaldson. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, I think every player in his own special way is a dickhead. Um, oh, yeah. Even though, even though these Yankees are, you know, they're, they've basically won the division by July, they're they're going to be a real World Series contender. A lot of the players are playing extremely well. Like there's there's a lot of griping, you know, and and I think that's that's natural in a competitive environment. And I think, you know, one thing I wrote last year was that I actually felt like the sort of in in op opposition of what I was saying about how, you know, the the I guess quote culture of winning, sorry, uh, has helped set a good tone this year. I, I did feel that there was a lot of pressure last year and it was sort of on the other side of things where it's like well if all that matters is winning a world series you haven't done it you're struggling in the regular season um the the pressure i think can really be intense and i think i guess now that i'm thinking this through to articulate it, i guess i would say like they've they've used the pressure and the expectations differently this year and it's it's really been to their benefit that's cool let's uh, take a quick break we'll come right back with Lindsay adler of the athletic we'll be right back We're back with Lindsay Adler of The Athletic. And we're talking Yankees. And I, uh, of course, have to ask you, Adler, uh, have you watched The Captain yet? And what has Derek Jeter taught you about living life the right way, Lindsay <laughs> Be Adler? specific. Yeah. Um, yes. There is. There I, will be a test. I, I, I watched the first episode at the um, debut at the Tribeca Film Festival. The director, <laughs> Randy Wilkins, is a, is a pal of mine. I, I haven't been able to watch the second. I, I have a really hard, I haven't even watched the new Nathan Fielder show and I'm a Nathan Fielder diehard. I have a really hard time because I work until 1am every night yeah. watching ah, TV. That might have been um, your and, TV. Yeah. Habits, and, so. and, and watching the captain or the rehearsal at 9am is not really my personal vibe, I guess I would say, but yeah. you know, I mean, I've, I've read some stuff about the captain and I think what's interesting is like, I don't really have, 
I don't really have the Jeter brain that the readers I write for have, but I do think it's interesting that he wants to put himself out there, um, that he made the point of doing this. I, I think Randy is really smart. He, I, I really like that in the first episode, a lot of it was, you know, focused on his upbringing and his, you know, racial identity and Jeter's parents and his sister seem really freaking cool. And, and I do think in a sense, like there has been a lot, a lot of context and a lot of probably interesting things about Jeter that have kind of probably been lost to the mythology and whatnot. So I am interested to watch it. Um, I just have been covering a lot of Orioles games lately. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I want to talk more about early morning content because mm-hmm. to uh, not to put Drew on the spot, but he has unlocked a level of uh, dad behavior that I had not even considered, which is watching movies really early in the morning. Mm. And so I've been getting like texts from him as he's like sort of getting caught up on movies you know, on like a Saturday, I'll get a text at like 9.55 a.m. And he's just like, I just watched Den of Thieves. It's pretty fun, actually. Like, it's like a dumb version of Heat. But it's like, I haven't done anything by 9.55 on a Saturday, really. Like, I've brushed my teeth. I think <laughs> I'm probably wearing pants, but that's not a lock. And the idea of just knocking a movie out in the morning. Do you? So how has having to have this uh, beat writer schedule, like, has it upended your routine do you like how weird is your life now because you got a dog and you've got you know a brain like anybody else yeah yeah my my life is my life is kind of hell um (laughs) uh i have food service hours but without the partying basically i have let's see let let me just start listing the things that i have in my life i have a one-bedroom apartment where apparently I am responsible for the laundry. I have a dog. I have a boyfriend. I have a robust social life. I have a lot of work anxiety. I have very poorly treated ADHD. Um, I never know when to take my meds because my work hours are, you know, three to midnight. A lot of the time, you know, my editors will be working during normal people hours, but those are technically my off hours, but I can't really sleep in. Uh, even though I work late because I have to take the dog to pee. So usually I just take the dog to the coffee shop that has this sort of like alcove so that I can take him in there without taking him into the coffee shop because I hate when people do that, but I do it sometimes in certain situations. So I try to combine things like really, it really, it was really great. um, You know, in like 2020 when so many places like, like a bagel shop may have like a, a window, a window front, situation so I could walk the dog get a coffee and a bagel instead of getting mm. up walking yeah, they the got dog one of those at town now Drew well, yeah like going then going to get a bagel then looking at my laundry and being like do I really want to do laundry at 11 30 a.m um when am I going to write this story probably 2 a.m I would say I've been doing this for five years and I don't know what to do with my time <laughs> ever um you know what you know what it sounds like Adler I think what you need and house, you know, doctors may husband. disagree with me. No, I think husband. what you need is just a good old fashioned cocaine addiction. Yeah, and that no. would solve all your problems. <laughs> Wouldn't be in every you'd be able to do everything. I, I mean, quite I mean I'm, I'm a small girl on a pretty strong uh, stimulant prescription, I guess is what I would say. So doctors actually would agree with you by by, <laughs> by virtue of giving me that prescription. Um, no, I can't tell get you this to girl some blow. Cocaine, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, someone on my beat, my my close friend, Brennan Cuddy, has 
honestly, I think the best take on baseball beat writing that I've ever heard. It's that like, in what other job, even taking, even taking the sort of nocturnal aspect out of it, in what other job do you have to do your most intense thinking at the very end of your shift? You know, because yeah, I mean, fair. I'm sitting and thinking about what to write at, you know, 10, 11 midnight. And, but I get to the ballpark at like 2.30, 3 p.m. So I spend all of this time and then, so, I mean, if it were a nine to five, it'd be basically like if you had to do all of your work uh, between 4.30 and 5 p.m. Yeah. So it's or just, between yeah. like sometimes at 7 p.m. too. Mm-hmm. And you have no say in it. Yes, yeah. that is. Uh, so I, I, I also, I hate getting, because I am relatively a nine to five worker. So I hate getting like news Mm-hmm. Or like a like work stuff at like four forty five. That's mm-hmm. every American worker where you're like the client calls at five thirty. Like oh motherfucker. Like even like a meeting yeah. at four p.m. Like if I had been a meeting at four. Oh my god. I take a different approach, which is I think of myself as uh, somebody who like the content that I write for the most part is designed to be read hot and fresh right out of the oven, Ooh. which usually I like to have be at the very start of what's conventionally understood to be happy hour. So mm-hmm. you know like a four forty five yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And uh, that's really when I shine is that part of the day because that's how long it takes for my brain to start working enough for me to actually uh, push a blog up onto the site. Uh, Lindsay, will the Yankees make a bid for Juan Soto or what about other players at the deadline? Because the trade deadline is a week away. Yeah, I mean, in a sense, like, I think think their struggles, I mean, relative struggles over the last month are pretty useful here um, in that it helps sort of like I was saying about last season, it kind of helps expose things that they really need, you know, cause like if they were, they were just like sprinting through this, you could, you know, theoretically be like, oh, the Yankees are good. Why, why ball out for this? But it's like, um, no, they, they probably need a, a reliever to maybe a starter. They need to figure out the Joey Gallo outfield situation. So maybe, um, uh, 23 year old Ted Williams, uh, Dominican right. Ted Williams would, would be really valuable here. Um, yeah, he might be. Might this be. is the part of it we've been going over on Slack. Is that, like, I think it's Chris has said that it's like so hard to countenance the fact that 80% of the league is like, I don't really think we need Juan Soto mm-hmm. right now. It's like, no, <laughs> well, like you're a baseball team. You for sure could use Juan Soto. Like it's. Yeah. Well, this is sort of even the thing with thinking about judges options in, in free agency. Like, yeah, judges, judge is going to be an over 30 outfielder, but you know, I watch him every day. I'm not a scout, but I can tell you he's really freaking good. But like, even knowing that judges, you know, long-term compensation is going to come down to the fact that there will be like so many teams that are just like, no, we wouldn't pay a lot of money for a very good player. It's, um, mm, the, the new CBA was supposed to address this from the union standpoint and it really kind of doesn't anyway, anyway, Juan Soto, I mean, do the Yankees need Juan Soto as badly as maybe another team like mm, the Seattle Mariners, let's say, or whatever? No, probably not. The Yankees are already pretty dang good without him. Um, would it be baseball malpractice if the New York fucking Yankees did not think about ways to acquire Juan Soto? Yeah. But will they? Uh, you know, it. it's interesting because they've been really – the way that the Yankees approach have approached the trade deadline over the last few years have been, has been really frustrating to their fans outside of last year, you know, like there've been a couple of years where they need pitchers, um, but they don't trade prospects to get them because really on paper, these are 
it, it, it's a situation where they would have been acquiring pitchers just to have them, not because the pitcher would be a true upgrade over what they had, um, or at least not in relation to the prospect cost. Last year, um, they had a lot of, I hate using this term, but you know, surplus value from their farm system. They didn't, they were able to acquire players like Clay Holmes, who was kind of a reclamation project, and Joey Gallo, who was at the time a star, um, without giving up you know, their top prospects. Juan Soto, it would put them in a position where they would have to consider moving those top prospects and figuring out what the hell to do about it. But, you know, I mean, Brian Cashman's been doing this job longer than any other general manager in baseball. He's basically been doing it for my whole life. Yeah, I mean, he took over and, God, I should know this off the top of my head. I believe 96 um, or 97, 95, 96. Somewhere in there when I was still like learning my ABCs or whatever. Um, (laughs) So like he, 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 he knows the vibes as well as anyone else. And I really got to stop saying vibes, but like, we've discussed this as a podcast. I don't, I don't know. You have maxed out the vibes. You were on full vibe. The thing with the Yanks too is that like what you were saying about the way the farm system works, the fact that, and this is an annoying thing about them, Mm -hmm. is that like they're better at just like minting these extremely useful relief pitcher types, Mm -hmm. like just seemingly out of nowhere. And they are really producing more of them than they could roster. Yeah. Like at least over the last few years. So like, yeah, I mean, it works that they were able to get Clay Holmes and then Mm -hmm. turn him into... I don't, Eric Gagne, like, I don't know. He was, he's, I know, cooled off a little bit, but for a lot of the season was like basically yeah. having one of the best relief seasons that anyone had ever had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the Yankees made a, made some real changes to their farm systems, to their farm system a few years ago. And, and the pitching side has been particularly effective. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, honestly, like it's the thing I keep saying, you know, obviously Andrew Benintendi clearly not being vaccinated. He's also, not Juan Soto or whatever, but like the Royals have a real issue with their like pitching situation. And so the, the trade I, I keep bringing up is like, it would probably be good for the Royals if they traded like Andrew Benintendi and one of their relievers who have clearly pretty good underlying stats, but poor results. They traded them to the Yankees and got some of these like minor league guys, minor league guys who are or pitchers who who have learned how to pitch in a, in a good pitching organization. <laughs> in a environment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Could, you know, I mean like the Yankees really do have some good pieces to offer to like a rebuilding team, you know, obviously in the case of Juan Soto, like you're needing major league ready players or major league players, but like for any other organization, like the Yankees actually have guys who can really benefit. And it's, it, it is pretty interesting. Like they turned, you know, two hitters who, hadn't really been at the, you know, at the top of the prospect list, they turned them into pretty good hitters and then they traded them for Clay Holmes and, you know, say what you will about the Pittsburgh pirates and their history of trading pitchers to smart ball clubs, <laughs> literally but, any other team. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but, but the Yankees have made a real investment in their farm system and it's really kind of given them some of that flexibility so that they can trade away players on whom they're not staking their future in in fair packages to get good players in return and so the the Juan Soto thing I think is very different and would really force them to think about how much risk they're willing to take here but also like when we talk about risk like it's Juan Soto like 
every time right. I look yeah. at, you know, like plate discipline stats, like that's what you want. Like we can talk about, you know, long-term risk, I guess, or whatever, but like short-term risk, like get out of here, get out There's of here, no you know? Thing. Like yeah, with Monzo, he's a 23 year old no who won an MVP, risk. right? And and That's he it. has postseason exp- like I I I can't believe I have become the person who harps on this, but like he's already been on a big stage, you know. Yeah. Like that, if no matter where you put that, you know, box to check on on the list of priorities or values or you know like you know things to do your due diligence on, like okay, he's got it. We've we've checked that box. We can move on. Everything else is great, and like you never know what. I mean, an asteroid could hit, could, you know, could, could hit New York next year. And then who cares if Jason Dominguez is going to be your franchise outfielder or not? Fingers you know? crossed. Like, this yeah. is, this is, this, <laughs> in a sense, this is the year Juan Soto is the guy. Um, but I am interested to see how they approach it. Let's, uh, let's do one more sports question before we get into the stupid shit, Adler. Uh, Adler, you are a Niners fan. Mm-hmm. And the team has indicated that they'll either trade or cut Jimmy Garoppolo by week mm-hmm. one. Are you sad about losing Pizza Boy, or are you excited for the Trey Lance era to begin in earnest? Um, I don't really know what's going on with the 49ers. Um, they don't either. Yeah. Yeah, that's sort of the sense I get. Um, Would you say that you hate to see Jimmy Garoppolo go, but love to watch him leave? Yeah. <laughs> sorry, Jimmy's sorry. Jimmy's like, sorry. would I miss Jimmy on the field? Probably not. It's it's not it's not an Alex Smith situation. Did you um, miss Alex Smith? I I well, yeah, I did. Um, this is before I, the I, broken leg, Alex Smith. This is before he, he had you know, at the time he left. No, I think and just... and yeah, and and especially now doing things like watching Jimmy G. Yeah, I appreciate Alex Smith a little bit more. You know, it's <laughs> I mean, I've I've <laughs> now watching a lot of baseball and a lot of seeing a lot of different types of talent i've i've come to appreciate the you know boring good tier of guys where sometimes you just want a boring good guy um bless jimmy and his high variance heart i get it that's how clearly i say as i'm you know um lunatic on stimulants i i get the ups and the downs it feels (laughs) so familiar to me but for my football team not really into it um yeah i just i don't I don't, I don't know what assessments to make of the Jimmy era in San Francisco, but like, I will, I will always root for him to have his face on television. And I guess that's (laughs) what I would say. (laughs) I liked that. I liked that. Let's, uh, let's remember a guy and, uh, you know what? I, I had a, a Yankee in honor of you, Adler. But man, we've we've talked a lot of Yankees. But look, we're mm-hmm. gonna remember Sorry, a guy. Everyone. And this week's guy, no, that's your that's your fucking job. That's why we had <laughs> you, you do on. a giant. It was meant rather. to be a, a Yankees cast to counterbalance all the Mex cast that we usually do. Your guy of the week, it's Tino Martinez. Mm-hmm. You remember that guy, Lindsay Adler? Of course, Tino was you, an essential part of those teams. Let um, me see if let me see if Tino's coming to Old Timers Day today. Tino, like uh, thing he would do. Was Tino or ever a nominee for for Cooperstown? I know, obviously, he didn't make Cooperstown, but was he ever a nominee for it? He was probably on the ballot. Okay, but he, uh, Tino, Tino will indeed be at Old Timers Day this year. Terrific. Oh, I'll be mm-hmm. there on that. The last I'd seen of Tino in baseball, he was the hitting coach for the Rays, I think it was, and he got in. A, or was it? No, it was the Marlins. 
And he got in a, a fight with a bunch of players because they, like, weren't doing things the right way. And, like, Derek Dietrich or somebody on the Marlins was like, well, I don't have to listen to you, old man. And, like, Tino Martinez uh, got in his ass. Which seems like, you know, that's the Tino experience overall. Is that, like, I don't think he was ever one of the better players on the really good Yankees teams. But he was, like, for sure their first baseman. And has that sort of, like, general ambient excellence around him just because he was on teams that won World Series and stuff. I don't think I really know how good he actually was. I think he was very, you know, a big run producer and stuff, but I don't think he was, like, well above average as an offensive first baseman for that era. Tino Martinez? He was a pretty goddamn good baseball player. He was good. I just It was a good era for offense. Yeah. uh, Mm. As a a Yankee, he was 13% above league average. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I you'll, would... you'll take it. I mean, like, yeah. that's sort Look of... Look at me defending sort of a like, damn Yankee here. Well, th- I mean, that's sort of like the lesson that's kind of been lost with those dynastic Yankees teams. It's like, it wasn't just Jeter or whatever, yeah. you know? Like, they just had, like, a very good... They just had, like... They just had, like, a bunch of solid players. Like, and that's what you need. Like, sure, you need some stars. You need some, like, dudes you can rely on every day. But, like, really just, like... You need to just like have some solid players. Um, yeah, that was so. the difference I think in terms of letting Cashman and Cashman also having the opportunity to run the mm-hmm. team in the way that he did. That there was like when the Yankees when I was young, like so you know being an older person that like the real Steinbrenner model Yankees and I think there's a lot of like sort of nostalgia for Steinbrenner now just because as uh, there Americans love mean bosses mm-hmm. no among Yankee I, fans I don't, absolutely oh, yeah. oh, oh well among Yankees fans well they're fascists anyway so yeah right I, I was gonna say yeah so like that's a that's a more direct way of saying it yes but they're like the way that those teams were constructed which was more or less according to his whim mm-hmm. it was all stars but like stars that they like Dan Snyder style, like just like sort of imported from other teams and then mashed together into a roster that was invariably dysfunctional and sort of underperformed. Whereas like when you look at the Yankees World Series teams, there were Hall of Famers on them for sure. But there was also and, you know, and then there were like end of career Hall of Fame guys here and there. There's also a lot of like Scott Brocious and Tino Martinez in the monitors, like guys that were above average major league regulars, but not like. Not superstars, but just dudes that could be parts in a high-functioning hole. I Bro, see a lot of that uh, on this Yankees team, too. Like, honestly, like, I as, I didn't get the idea of, like, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa mm-hmm. or, you know, or at the time, really, necessarily, like, DJ LeMahieu, who's mm-hmm. a much more, you know, eye-popping stats type guy. But, like, they got it right. Like, it works. Like, there's really, clearly, they were able to figure out how, or maybe this is just looking back you know, from a team that's succeeding and then sort of like rewriting the history so that it all makes sense. But it takes normal guys. It takes mm-hmm. above average guys who aren't stars to like sort of knit all of that together, it seems like. And and I think the team that actually emulates those dynastic Yankees teams the best is actually the Dodgers. I mean, you yeah. know, Chris Taylor is the ultimate, you know, have, haven't, you know, like he, I, I mean, I, I think the thing that gets lost is some of those, Yankees teams is like, yes, they had imported stars. They also had homegrown players. And they had the thing that, you know, like you're saying, like that the uh, that the Dodgers do, where they get guys more or less off the curb, mm-hmm. like make a couple of tweaks, and then like Justin Turner is an all-star exactly. now. That was a waiver claim. 
every now and then you will roast me during the season. Sometimes you will find my old tweets being frustrated by Justin Turner during Mets games and just retweet them, which uh, I always see, appreciate, Lindsay. Justin Turner has Justin Turner has over eleven years of major league service time now. Yeah. That was a guy that the Mets cut loose because they thought he made Ike Davis drink too many beers. <laughs> See, this is, yeah, that's how good teams work. They take advantage of bad teams doing bloopers. Yes. Uh, speaking of bad things, it's time to open the fun bag and subject you guys <laughs> to the degree of the fun bag. Uh, this one is from Evan Adler. Evan writes in, should you wash your socks inside out or not? Assuming the outside part gets cleaned better in the wash, don't you want the part that has been in your shoe and on the floor cleaned more than the part that's been against your, f- or the part that's been against your foot? Which one would be better, Adler? Wow. Yeah, you're, you're allowed. One where yeah. I have you're again given allowed. This issue a, no thought. <laughs> you're again allowed a very long pregnant pause for this one because it's a difficult question. Even though it's no, actually that's, very. That's a that's a pretty good. I just like kind of wash all my socks together and take a big scoop of OxyClean and throw it into the drum. So <laughs> you also have dog. You also have it. dog hair to contend with as well. Exactly. So. Um, the, the the inside out thing is a. I, I think that may. I think expecting me to have a a consistent standard as to whether or not my socks go in, or how. Yeah. Um. It's a I'm, I'm sure I, I do a real. I'm sure I do a real mix from the times when I'm just like peeling my socks off, and then I just like throw them across the room, and then I have to gather them. And so a lot of them are probably naturally inside <laughs> out, but I haven't done yes. you know like a larger that, study on which ones appear to be cleaner. I just know uh, that I, like I said, douse them in OxyClean. Well, yeah. see, as a parent, I I have had enough uh, of a sample size with <laughs> kids who. Uh, who will throw their shit into the hamper inside out, and what my wife, findings? who gets very frustrated with it, folds it inside out to teach them a lesson, and to teach me a lesson because I do it too. And so wow. I have figured out that uh, it does not matter if the socks are inside <laughs> or out know. because well, they're goodness. in a big vat of soapy water, so all of the sock will get clean regardless yeah. of what you do. Uh, uh, S2S writes in, what is the most useful packaging byproduct excluding plastic bags? All vote that broccoli rubber bands are the most handy. Industrial strength, non-permanent binding. I use them on holiday wrapping paper, around rolls of string, in the garage, and around the top of mason jars covered in foil as makeshift seasoning shakers. Second would be a good cardboard delivery box, followed by the thick plastic bags that bed sheets and blankets come in. I use are great for storage. Lindsay, what packaging do you have around, or do you keep around for future use? Damn, I really got to get my life together. <laughs> <laughs> like, I really got to get my life together. Um, what, because you don't feel like you have enough okay. rubber bands so, in your okay. home? Um, the broccoli rubber bands are quite useful. I okay, I actually, I actually do have one tip. Um, I use it for when I'm, like, baking and making bread and whatnot. But instead of doing some sort of cling wrap situation or getting a towel wet all the time or using one of those beeswax things. Sometimes I will buy or no, what I, what I do is I buy the, the big packs of those like very cheap um, hair protective things. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a plastic thing with elastic around it. Like a, a hair, cap? like a hair a shower cap, a shower cap, oh, okay. a shower cap, uh, just a okay. very cheap 
plastic shower cap. Just, you know, you can buy them. You can buy a hundred of them for like $3. Uh, so when I need to like have bread proofing in a bowl or whatever, instead of trying to figure out how to cover it, I just take one of those shower caps and I wrap it over. It works really oh, well like if you like make too much like mac and cheese on Thanksgiving. And instead of trying to like do some like aluminum foil situation, you can just put the shower cap over it. So over the casserole itself, like you just stretch it over yeah, the over, thing over and like shove the it in the fridge. Yeah, over like the casserole dish. Oh, that's and then brilliant. It's like, yeah. So um, that's also not... you could put it would be a good shoe cover if you were a contract killer. Something like, like that. Sneaking to someone's apartment would be fantastic. A really good idea. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, if you want to be Dexter, uh, buy some shower yeah. caps. If you, if you want to be like bread baking Or if you Dexter. just want to make more mac and cheese than you could eat in one night. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I live alone. Um, <laughs> so that's not necessarily something. But, I mean, I will say the rubber band, the, the broccoli rubber bands, that's a really good pick. I feel like they also yeah, have yeah. asparagus rubber bands. But if you're willing to buy something else to... Save yourself a little bit of time. The 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 Alaski shower caps as as instead of cling wrap is is my recommendation. A brilliant brilliant tip to finish. I on. use a cardboard box as like sort of a little riser for my computer so that I can. Bl- I'm at a standing desk here. What are you I'm four feet tall? <laughs> that my wife is usually in all the time. So I just have like one of the boxes that she got from like Amour Vert or like one of the. There's a lot of clothing just coming in and out of the mm-hmm. house at all mm-hmm. times. Uh, most of it gets sent back, but this is how you try things on now, I guess, yep. uh, if you are a, a lady of a certain demo. But, like, those boxes are really good. And so, like, I just put it on there, and it's like having – I can sit in the front of the apartment and blog without having to, like, hunch over Monty Burns style. Like, I'm already inclined <laughs> in that direction. But if I have to lean down over to the coffee table to work on it, like, my shoulders touch in the front of my body. Like, I can't be doing that. <laughs> you give me an extra, an extra you know – Eight inches of elevation, and I'm good. Like, Soon, my boy, you'll have a majestic hump. Yeah. <laughs> Brandon Nix and Chantel Holder are our producers. Nora Ritchie is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me, and uh, this time around. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to StitcherPremium.com. Use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at because Why Your Team Sucks is coming next week. And please go read Lindsay Adler over at The Athletic, especially if you're a Yankees fan. Oh, I hate you, Yankees fan, but I would respect you more if you read Lindsay's work. Thank you, Adler, <laughs> for coming on the podcast. Thanks, guys. Good to be back. Thanks, Lindsay. Appreciate All right. It. We'll see you guys next week. Goodbye. Bye.